0: Okay, good morning, everyone. Good morning. I want to thank our sponsors this morning. Our munashir is generously sponsored by dear friends of Chayisar Abbas Beila to wish her a successful surgery and a Rafua shlema. We are continuing with the uh, Nesiva Shalom, the Slanom Rebbe. The new school has started today. It's the wonderful sound of children's voices we're hearing. And Beautiful. if you can close the door, we appreciate it. Okay, we've been working our way through this piece in the Slanom Rebbe, the Nesiva Shalom. Okay, that was... No, just leave it right there. You're standing right in front of it now. <laughs> the Nesiv al Neslan Marebi on his piece Vanis Yitzviel HaShem Eis Ratzon, who uh, has been talking to us about how to connect to Hashem not only during these days of the year, these holy days of the year, but to how to connect to Hashem all throughout the year. And the key to connecting to Hashem is removing the biggest obstacle, the biggest barrier that we have to Hashem. What do they call that? When, when the kids come to school the first day and you have to... Phasing, right, we're hearing the sounds of phasing in. There's a a (laughs) fine line between the sound of phasing in and the sound of torture. It's a a very fine line. Um, We're going to stop this. That's not going to work. So that's the sound of phasing in. So the biggest obstacle, the biggest impediment that we have towards our relationship with Hashem is... Is us. Is us, is ourselves. Is what the Salam Rebbe has been talking about. Is our sense of ani, who we are, our identity, our ego, our desires, our needs, our wants, our lust, and that becomes an enormous impediment. It's not just true of the relationship with Hashem, it's true in all relationships. Relationships fail when there's a clash of egos. Relationships fail when. Relationships fail when. People are gonna. Th- people are gonna think I'm torturing. Uh, it's coming from the sheer itself. When, when there's a clash of egos, when there's a cl- clash of desires, of interests, of egos, is when relationships are really compromised, it's when relationships really fail. And it's true in our relationship with Hashem. A real relationship requires humility. It requires humility, it requires vulnerability. To let the other person in, you need to be willing to let them see your faults, your shortcomings, your pimples and your warts. You have to let them see everything about you. The Rav we shared yesterday in the Parsha, in our Parsha we have the mitzvah of Ma'akeh. You have to put a fence around... Um, around the balcony, or around a staircase, or around a rooftop. And what's the reason, what's the, the source of this, of this mitzvah of ma'akeh? So Rabbi suggests that um, the notion of coming towards the edge of something dangerous is to feel our own vulnerability. If you don't put up a fence, you feel you're, you don't, you're not vulnerable, you feel that you, are, uh, you live a certain life, you feel no sense of frailty, you feel, feel a sense of permanence, That breeds ego, it breeds breeds arrogance. The feeling of vulnerability, that you come towards the edge, you get nervous, you're anxious, that feeling of vulnerability is a very healthy feeling, and because vulnerability breeds a sense of, of humility. And so we put a fence around our roof, and we put a fence around our lives to realize that we can't teeter towards the edge that we are vulnerable, that we rely utterly on Hashem. So again, the source of of the the biggest impediment to our relationship with Hashem is the sense of Ani, who I am, my ego, my arrogance. And the more I can sublimate it, the more I can eliminate it, the more I can submit it to Hashem, then the stronger and the greater a relationship that I will have with Hashem. And that's what Ani dodi, Ani dodi, l'dodi li. The Salaam is saying the ani dodi is my ani I direct dodi, And when I do, dodi is li. And again, we talked about that in relationships, when I say to the other party, my ani is directed dodi to you. I want you to be happy. I put your needs ahead of my own. You are the center of my life. And the other one says, well, you're the center of my life. Then you end up having to... Happy people. And that's what the Islamic rabbi said. That's the Pshat and what this We say, Shabbos mincha, regarding my ani, Svi'lasi, my prayer is, L'cha Hashem, that I can direct it to you. That I measure everything I'm about to do and think and want through the prism of, does it give you nachas ruach Hashem? Does it make you proud? Does it meet your needs? I'm putting you, ani is l'dodi. I'm putting you ahead of myself. So we are on the bottom left of the, of the front page, of the front side. Uh, I believe we are. Uh, let's start two lines from the bottom. In the moment of, in an auspicious moment, in a moment when you can be appeased, Hashem, in a moment which is predisposed to connection with you, my prayer is, that I should succeed in directing myself in a relationship with you. A couple stands onto the chuppah, their prayer should be, I hope that I can always keep you at the center of my life. I said, the Kala walks around the chasin seven times, puts him at the center of her circle. He puts a ring on her finger, puts her at the center of his circle. And the prayer is that in perpetuity for the rest of their married lives, that they don't see themselves as the center of their circle, but that they're able to place the other, the other's priorities, the other's wants, the other's needs, and so on. Shekola teshuka ti'arak Hashem. That all my longing and all my desire is only for you, Hashem. That I have no personal interest, I have no personal agenda. My entire agenda is conforms with yours. Hashem, you've given us a prescription, you've given us a roadmap for what you want and expect from the world, how to repair the world, you've told us. So my tefillah v'ani, regarding who I am, tefillah see my prayer, is l'cha Hashem that in this eis that I can successfully direct my life to you, that I'm not here to serve my needs, I'm not here to accumulate more things, I'm not here to gain more pleasure, I'm here to serve you. Now the amazing thing is, that the more we serve Him, the greater the pleasure that we have. The more we are of service to Him, the more mission-driven we are, the more happiness that we find. I was talking, learning with a group the other night. We were talking about how happiness as a value is a really certain modern goal. You know, they say that if you look at pictures of um, certainly the beginning of when pictures began, you don't see ever people smiling. Why? Well, because they were all miserable. The whole world was miserable. No, but like now the notion that you need to project a smile and you need to project happiness and even more, our society that says you deserve happiness and do whatever it takes to get happy and do what makes you happy. And don't care what others think about it and don't care whether it complies with any other system or expectations, your happiness, your happiness, your unhappiness. So of old, and I'm not just trying to wax nostalgic for the old days when everything was great and amazing. It wasn't always when we were running from pogroms and persecution and attempts to annihilate us. Maybe that's why I wouldn't smile so much either. But, but in the old days, happiness was not the goal. It wasn't the virtue. It wasn't the measure by which we led a meaningful life. The measure of a meaningful life was, did you survive to the end of the day? And did you raise children where you raised yir- yir- Shemaim, Shema Torah I think for many of our grand- grandparents, that was their goal. Did you feed the cows? Did you turn over the hay and your children still show Shabbos? And are they safe and secure from the Cossacks who want to kill them? That was the measure of their day. Today, thank God, we don't have that. And so the measure of our day has become, am I happy? I deserve to be happy. Am I as happy as I deserve to be? Why aren't I as happy as the person next to me? And I watch on, on Snapchat and Instagram and Facebook and everyone else looks so happy, even though as soon as the camera goes off, they're absolutely more miserable than I am. But... There's such happiness, and happiness, and happiness, and happiness. And who said happiness is a goal? Who says happiness is a goal? We don't live for happiness, we live for holiness. L'cha Hashem. We're not living for my happiness. And here's the... So I was talking about this with a group of people the other night, and one of them pointed out, I think so correctly, that the irony, the paradox is that in days of old, when they didn't live for happiness, they were happier. And we, who've defined our measure and metric and goals for life as happiness are so terribly unhappy. All around us is such unhappiness. People are numbing themselves to that unhappiness. Through all kinds of behaviors, addiction, substances, mm-hmm. there's such unhappiness. So when you, when you pursue happiness, you'll never get there. You'll never catch up to it. But when you're not running after it, it will find you. When you're living a life of meaning, of purpose, of mission, when you're driven to be able to... to uh, to do things that are truly meaningful and truly deep. Every moment, every decision, what am I going to do right now? I can go to the can go to the gym, I can get a manicure, I can cook, I can check on somebody who's not feeling well, I can this, I can... What will give the greatest Nachas Ruach? This thing I want to say right now, this place I want to go right now, this thing I want to eat right now, the choice I'm about to make right now, to measure it all, not through the metric of what will give me the greatest happiness, but what will give Hashem the greatest nachas? Ha'im ze nargan Mafrid right? aluf. And again, the, the irony or the paradox is that if I do that, I'll be the happiest I could be. Because I'll be living the most fulfilled, satisfying, mission-driven life, and there's nothing that gives greater happiness than fulfilling the purpose for which we are created, for feeling relevant, than feeling that we matter. Nothing gives us more happiness. That's the irony. So when every decision is driven by happiness, I'm constantly running after it, I'll never catch up with it. But when decisions are driven by being here for a mission, giving nachas to Hashem, asking, what does He want? What does He expect from me right now? v'ani regarding who I am, zfil my davening is, Lacha Hashem. I hope that through my day, I can constantly ask myself, what does Hashem want from me right now? That doesn't mean that you're sitting and saying to him from morning to night, that you don't deserve that manicure, or you don't deserve to watch the football game, or you don't deserve to relax. Of course, that is not only allowed, and not only okay, it's necessary, because to re-energize, to reinvigorate, to reposition ourselves, to go back to life and doing what Hashem wants, he understands that includes eating and sleeping and relaxing. But the question is, you know, what's a reasonable amount of that? A person who takes an hour to legitimately relax is different than the person who gets hooked into something and binge watches and now went to sleep at 4 a.m. because they had to see the entire series and instead of being more relaxed and reinvigorated, that's assuming that there's anything that's legitimate or halachically okay to watch. But even if there were, a person who, who, the person who overdoses or overindulges in the technology doesn't come the next day reinvigorated, more relaxed and more ready to serve Hashem. They're more exhausted, they're more compromised, they're more unable so again, the metric, what I'm about to do right now, am I relaxing and chilling so that I can fall asleep, have a good night's sleep and and kill it tomorrow serving Hashem? Or am I binge watching something without any awareness of what time it is or the impact this is going to have on me or the model I'm setting for my kids or or what I'm doing to my soul? The numb-inducing, whatever, coma I'm putting my soul in to be able to say I finished this series. And when a person fulfills this this goal, Now, it's not like, oh, well, we talked about it this morning, Wednesday, so by Thursday, when you finish this, we'll give you your next assignment. This is a lifelong assignment for which most people never, ever come close. Right, But this is the mission. There's a lot of lifelong aspirations that we have, which we know we may never come close, but they remain our aspiration. They're held out as our aspiration, our ambition, our goal forever. So this one too, regarding who I am, Hashem. So, as vidodili, the more we do it, even though you can never fully accomplish it, you'll never fully get there, but the closer we come and the more we do it, Hashem reciprocates. Vidodili. Vidodili. Many, many, many marriage counselors, experts will tell you that, you know, even in marriage, you can't change the other party. No matter how much you will or want, you can't change the other party. What you can do is change yourself, and more often than not, if you change your attitude and the... the, um, kind of paradigm with which you come to the marriage, the other person will change too. That The best way to change another is to change ourselves. So, l'dodi. how Hashem relates to me is not in my power. How I relate to Him is, and He will reciprocate. Because when people feel love, when they feel they're at the center of your circle, when they feel they're your priority, when they feel you care genuinely about them and their need and their want, so normal, decent, hopeful, non-psychotic people can, <laughs> will, will uh, innately and instinctively feel that back. So that's why the end of that sentence, V'ani, regarding who I am, my identity is, I hope I can successfully live my life as Ani l'dodi. Hashem, I exist only because you will it and want it, and I'm here to fulfill your vision for it, and I want every choice to be one that gives you tremendous nachas. Hashem, be the center of my circle. Then, Then, Then then, then Hashem reciprocates and says, Wow, you're amazing. That's fantastic. You get it. I feel your love. And you know what? I love you too. And I want you to be happy. And I'm going to try to make my will conform to yours. So when we say, Hashem, I'm making my will conform conform to what you want. Hashem says, That's incredible. I'm going to try to make my will conform to what you want. When a Jew clings to God out of love, that if a person can successfully cling to Hashem, through every circumstance, through every decision, through every moment in life, the highs and the lows, the easy and the difficult, the challenging times, and the triumph, the the joy, the success, but if we cling to Hashem in every moment from love, not just Hashem, I know it's you when all goes well. I know it's you when there's a simcha. I know it's you when it works out. But I know it's you and I know it's meant to be for me, even when it doesn't. I saw a beautiful Sfasemes yesterday. I saw somebody online posted a beautiful Sfasemes yesterday. Daniel Gibber. That Sfasemes uh, we say in the David Hashem, which we're saying right now every day of Elul, we say, um, If a war rages against me, In this I have pitachum. What's Bezos? There's a lot of different beautiful explanations. Bezos. Bezos, Ani In this. Bezos. What's the this? Bezos. It could be, you know, in you. So so say Hashem's name. What do you mean Bezos? In this. So, As Sama says, Bezos. You know what the Bezos, you know what it is that I have bitachon in? The Milchama. Hashem, you threw a challenge my way. I have faith that that challenge is meant for me. The greatest faith we can have is to not run away from the challenge. Of course, we try to use our initiative to overcome the challenge. Hashem gives us a health scare or issue. We don't say, I trust that that's what's meant for me, so I'm not going to the doctor and I'm not taking the medicine and I'm not going to undergo the therapy because I trust this is what Hashem wants for me. That's foolishness. That's not what Hashem wants for us. But it means that even as I'm confronting whatever the challenge is, I trust that that challenge is meant for me you want to live a meaningful life, then don't see every challenge as an excuse to deny Hashem. See every challenge as an invitation to come closer to Hashem. And to realize that even though the challenge at the moment is unpleasant, it's unwanted, but you will emerge stronger. You will emerge different. You may see it in your lifetime. We may never see it in our lifetime and only understand it after 120. I'm not suggesting all challenges are equal. Some are of such magnitude. They're almost impossible to accept, to understand, to live with. But that's the bezosani Nibotea. Hashem. Davon HaMelech did not... We talk. We, we read about Davon Malach and we read his Tehillim like he had this easy, smooth sailing, amazing life. He had challenges in life that far outweigh what almost any of us can identify with. Right? Rebelliousness from children, jealousy and envy and violence in his own family, attempted murder by his father-in-law who wanted to kill him. Uh, he had an insurrection. He had his own failure with Hashem. Hashem was disappointed in him. He, I mean, his life was riddled with challenges. But he says, But for each one of those challenges, I trust Hashem, that they didn't come to me through chance, didn't come to me through randomness. I trust Hashem that if you threw that my way, there is a reason. And that is the level and degree to which we're supposed to be davuk b'ashem, to cling to and to feel Hashem's presence in our life. From the meaningless, inconsequential, simple, like the canceled flight or the stuck at the red light or the thing that didn't work out, mm-hmm. to the really, really consequential right. and the really horrific is Hashem, I trust in you that this is meant for me and I'm clinging, I'm sticking with you. I know you've got a plan and I'm sticking with you like glue, Devek, Devekas. But if that connection, if that glue becomes becomes iffy, if it starts to loosen up, if it's not really sticking anymore, I'm not really ill-dodi. the relationship is frailed. God, I don't know where you are and who you are, and if you're even here, and if you hear me, and if you even care. And I don't know that I'm going to make every decision of mine to appease you, and to conform to you, because I don't even know where you are. So then, So then, so Hashem turns to you and says, Okay, I mean, it takes two to tango. If you're withdrawing from the relationship, I can't force myself on you. So then I guess that we're, there's a distance, there's daylight between us. When you're not with Him, He's not with you. Now, it's not that Hashem does that as a form of punishment. Hashem doesn't withdraw by saying, Well, you don't have to be talking to Namuna, you're not living with Tvekus, I've got to punish you. You've withdrawn from me, I'm withdrawing from you as a form of punishment. Not that it's a form of punishment. It is simply a reality. How many marriage counseling have I been involved with that one party has grown away, grown out of the other, and the other hasn't? But you know what? If the one party is not invested, the other party, there's nothing in the world they can do. It's only an dodi, the dodi Lee. Both parties have to be invested in putting the other first and wanting to see the relationship succeed. So if we say to Hashem, I don't know where you are and I don't know if you're here and I don't really feel like dedicating my life to you, or it's inconvenient for me to have to make my choices to conform to what you want. So then Hashem says, okay, you're entitled to do that, but good luck to you. Right? That's more of the parent-child paradigm. Right? The child says, I don't really need you, I don't check in with you often, and I don't want you telling me what to do, and I'm not really putting what you want ahead of my own interests. The parent says, okay, I wish it were different, but when you need money, or you need a bailout, or you need someone to swoop in on the helicopter, good luck. <laughs> That's the bed that you made. I need the do dodi So we long for the dodi lee. We say, Hashem, where are you? Shower with Bracha, Ratzlacha, Shefa Hashem, shower me. I want everything that I want. Dodi li, I want you to be there for me. I want to feel your presence in my life. I want you to bring the outcomes that I desire. Hashem says, okay, where's the anila Dodi? Where am I in your thinking? Right? Again, coming back to the marriage paradigm. So one spouse is saying, how come you don't do everything I want? I want to eat the restaurant I want to go. I want to go on a vacation I want. I want to spend the money the way I want. I want everything the way I want. And other one says, okay, where, where do my needs come in? What about, what about you doing what I want? Where does that come in? So, Anila Dodi li. it has to be a reciprocal relationship. I saw this morning, the um, the Chaim, towards the end of his life, on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, was sick. He wasn't able to attend davening in, in the yeshiva, in the shul. So they made a minion for him in his home. But one year he said, I have to come in, I have to say something. So he came into davening on Rosh Hashanah, and he said the following thing. This was He exerted himself just to say the following. And apparently he was so weak that he wasn't even heard by everybody. His Talmud, Rav Ochanan Wasserman, Hashem Yikom Damo, who was killed by the Nazis. Rav repeated it out loud for everyone else to hear. So what did the Chavetz Chaim have to say? He said, you know, we start saying, Zachreinu Lachayim, melech hafez b'chaim. Kasfeinu b'se'b'chaim, the manche chaim. Zachreinu Lachayim, Hashem, remember us for life. You, the king who, who wants life, write us for life, for you, Hashem, life. Life, life, life. To life, to life Lachayim, Right, so... What is this chayim that we're talking about? Life, life, life. So, um, what is life? What, what is this life we're longing for? Is it simply a matter of, of a pulse, a heartbeat? We just want to be alive? Is that the life? What exactly is the life that we're looking for, that we're longing for? What is that life? You know, there are many lives. There are many lives that we can have. I um, I told the story once here. And I just wrote it up for an article that's going to be in Mishpach about Yecheva's grandfather who in the concentration camp once attended a Kol Nidre night and uh, the Chustarov ran the davening in the Kol nidre night and he said, the following board we say, Sifre Chaim V'sifre Mesim. The books of life and the books of death are open. Why does it say books of life and books of death? It's one book. You're either inscribed in the book of life, you're going to live or you're going to die. It should be a book of life or a book of death. Why is it books of life and books of death? So you'll have to read the article to hear his answer, which is magnificent. The Al Sheikh also asked that question and others. But I suggest that the answer is because there's not one life you live. There's not one way to die, and there's not one way to live. There are many lives that we can live. There are people who are dead even while they're alive, and there are people who live long beyond their death. And so there's a specific one that we're longing for that we're looking for. So when we say Zacharin Lakhaim, Hashem, remember us for life, we're not just saying, remember me for life that I have a pulse, that I have a heartbeat, that I'm alive physically. The kind of life that we're living. So the Chavetz Chaim got up and he says, "Zachreinu lechaim. What kind of chaim? Melech hafeitz b'chaim. The kind of life that the king wants us to be living. Zachreinu lechaim. Remember us for life. What kind of life? Melech hafeitz b'chaim. The kind of life that the Melech hafeitz that the king wants from us. Dodi li, ani li dodi. Melech hafeitz What kind of life?" The kind of life that Hashem wants. Not the kind of life I want. I want to be in a country club. And I want to be thin. I want to have the latest fashion. And I wish I had more jewelry. And I want to drive this car. And I want to pursue this pleasure. I want to have that money. And I want to do these things. No. I want the life. The, the, that's not the Chaim that I'm davening for, Rosh Hashem Yom Kippur. I'm davening for the, the, the life that's the Melech hafeitz B'Chayim. What's the one that Hashem wants? That He gets nachas from me where I have Yerashem where I have virtue and righteousness, where I'm caring and giving and sensitive and good and honest, where I'm connected with Him, where I'm fulfilling my mission and purpose and being here. That's the life we're davening for. That's what we're working on here in this Elul. elo's not about, well, you know, the Jewish, I don't want to call it Christmas, but the Jewish holiday's coming up where God's going to give out the prizes. But we when does He determine <laughs> if we've been a good boy or a bad girl? Oh, Yom Kippur. So now, Elo, I'm on my best behavior. I'm tiptoeing around, because I want my prizes for the year. I want a good income for the year. I want a good livelihood for the year. Maybe I want the health of the people I love around me, which is certainly a, a righteous desire. I want, here's my list. Hashem, here's my list this year. Here's my wish list. And I'm going to be a good boy or a good girl, because I want you to give me my wish list. That's not what Elo, Rosh and Kippur are all about. That's what the Chavetz Chaim was saying. Right, He got out of bed, infirm, to make it to the base Medrash, to say this one sentence. Zachrein l'chaim, e'zachayim. Which life? The melech hafez The life the king wants from us. That's the life we should want for ourselves. When we set our aim, our goal, our ambition, it should not conform with what the people in the country clubs around us want. A better handicap, better majan score, not handicap like disability, I mean golf handicap, you know, better majan score... Better stock portfolio. That's not, the mele, that's not the chayim, the chayim that we want when we're setting our chayim up is the melech hafez b'chayim. What does Hashem want from me? And does that conform? Does it match with what I want from myself? And if not, why not? And how do I get there? And how do I get there? A person could say, how can I ask to achieve this level? how do I get to this level where I nullify myself? Because the truth is that it's important we care about ourselves. We have to preserve a self-interest because otherwise people can walk all over us, they could take advantage of us. If we don't take care of ourselves, then, then we can't preserve ourselves. So caring about ourselves is also important. V'chayi <laughs> baham. Torah tells us that we have to live. We have to live. If you have one canteen, you're walking in the desert, two people, and you split the canteen, you'll both die. You've got to keep the canteen and watch your friend die. Because v'chay bahem, self-preservation is a mitzvah in the Torah. It's a mitzvah in the Torah. So to daven to Hashem, that I'm utterly sublimating my sense of self to you, is that really possible? You need to have a healthy sense of self. Another famous is you have to l'recha kamocha. Kamocha, you have to love your neighbor as yourself, begins with you have to love yourself. Now some people excel at that mitzvah. They need to, they need to tone that down a little bit. You have to love themselves a little less. But others... Beat themselves up and they can't move past it, right? The drasha from this past Shabbos was not about living in the past, not about getting stuck and paralyzed and debilitated by our mistakes. It's not about beating ourselves up. It's about, it's about crafting our future. These are very difficult things. Can we really do that? In a world and in a marketing world that says obey your thirst and just do it and pursue your pleasure and your happiness and whatever makes you happy, can we really succeed in sublimating our sense of selves from our head to our toes to direct it all literally to Hashem? I need a, I'm going shopping. Do I need this shirt? Does Hashem want me to get this shirt? Does Hashem think I need another shirt? Does it give nachas to Hashem that I got this shirt? That's the level of consciousness of mindfulness, which maybe it's, it's beautiful, but it's nearly impossible. And how many times have we, we strive to achieve that and then we fail? And how many times can we repeat the cycle of trying to achieve certain things and failing and not give up? How many times can you, can you repeat the vicious cycle? How many times can you start the diet, lose some weight, think you're okay, gain it all back, be miserable with yourself, so you start it again? I mean, how many times can you do it before you give up and you just say, that's me? Now the truth is, from an intellectual objective perspective, from a Torah perspective, who cares how many times you failed? You've got to keep trying. I mean, if it's a goal, then keep trying the goal. And if there's something that knocks you off course, then address what's knocking you off course. But intellectually, how does it make sense not to keep trying just because you haven't yet broken through and succeeded? That's nice intellectually. But in reality... The more we try something and the more we fail and the more we revisit that cycle, the less good we feel about ourselves. The less likely we think we are to succeed and the less likely we are to try. So if we hold that out as the measure, Hashem, I need to l'cha Hashem. Ani regarding who I am, if you see my davening is l'cha Hashem, that I succeed in directing it all to you. I want to take a bite of this. But does Hashem want me to have a bite of this right now? And is this what He wants me to have a bite of? And do I need the next bite? And did I bite the right way? And did I chew enough before I swallow it? And did I, is it all giving nachas to Hashem? How could you live that level? So the answer is, don't ask Hashem to live that way all the time. Only do it by eis ratzon. Eis There are certain designated um, auspicious times of of the year and in our lives, where that's a moment of breakthrough, we have Shabbos afternoon Shalosh Raiva Riva It's considered to be in a particularly pleasant time where Hashem is more predisposed to hear our pleas and connect with Him. It's tragic in our times that many people, as Shabbos begins to wane, they think that Ah Shabbos is really ending, Shabbos is disappearing, Shabbos is over. Yo, go! Baruch Hashem, my Mote Shabbos plans are getting ready to kick in. Awesome! That miserable Shabbos where I have to disconnect from technology, I have no idea what's going on, and I have to actually just make do talking to the people around me. And I can't wait. Shabbos is almost over. But that moment where we think Shabbos is almost over, yay, is the moment where Shabbos is rich with opportunity, potential, invitation to connect with Hashem in a deeper and more lasting way that will lead for the week than any other point of Shabbos. That's Shalosh the Piyazetz Nerebbe writes about it. The Piyazetz Nerebbe was in love with Shalashiris. and his Tzav Viziras, he talks about that Shalashiris every week to him was like Neila on Yom Kippur. That was the level of Shalashiris. He was, he was tapped into an energy of Shalashiris. We often neglect Shalashiris. No offense, but women in particular neglect Shalashiris. I mean, if you're in shul and minchan, there's nothing to do before Mars. You go into Shalashiris, and then when Jews have nothing to do, they eat anyway, so they eat. So you go to say Shalashiris. But, but women are also obligated in Shalashiris. And it's a very, very important mitzvah. And it's a very lofty mitzvah. And, and Mishnah Baruch says, Chachamein of Barosha. Why do we neglect Shalashidas? Because we just stuffed our faces at lunch. Why so who has that? an appetite for Shalashidas? Which is, by the way, the reason it's called Shalashidas. Really it should be called Sudash Lishit. It's yeah. the third meal. So why is it called Sudash Lishit? Right. Is a name of it. It is It is a correct, it is a correct name for it. Right. I shouldn't say... It's, it's not that that's incorrect. That is the correct name for it. But why do we call it Shalashidas? Shalashidas means three meals. We're not eating, some do, the equivalent of three meals. It's one meal. So why don't we call it the third meal? Why is it called three meals? So they say, Friday night when you eat, it's not obvious that you're doing it for Shabbos. Why? Because you're starving. So you're eating because it's dinner. What makes, it av- what makes it different than Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday? That you made Kiddush. Normally you sit, you break bread, you start eating. Maybe you have wine in the meal. The whole institution of Kiddush is to introduce the meal, to make it different, to sanctify the meal el bakum Suda, there's no Suda that's not what to do with Kiddush. That's what makes it Friday night. But it's not obvious. Other than Kiddush, it's not obvious that you're doing it for Shabbos because you were hungry. Shabbos lunch, you're starving. So when you sit down for that bowl of chon, delicious Kegel, you're, uh, you're hungry. What makes it obvious that it's for Shabbos? Come Shalash, you're not hungry but you're eating anyway. So that reflects back that all three meals were really all for Shabbos. The fact that you're willing to eat Shalash even without the appetite shows that even the meals you ate because you had the appetite were also for Shabbos, for covered Shabbos Kodesh. So they say that's the origin of why it's called Shalash Really it's Sudash Lishit. Or you got it right. It's Sudash Lishit. But... Oh, so during that time, Shalash is Raiva and it's considered, which is from the Zohar, it's the Aramaic. It means it's it's like Yehei Ravach Kadamach, it's, people accuse me, I overuse that word auspicious, but if someone will give me a good synonym for it, I'd be happy to use it. But it's auspicious time, it's pregnant with possibility, with breakthrough. The Shabbos I spent in the square, Shalashiris the Rebbe, the lights were off for 45 minutes, the greatest fire hazard I've ever witnessed, but it was thousands of people packed in bleachers, sitting around an enormous table, And the lights were off 45 minutes. You couldn't see your hand in front of your eyes, and that's what made it beautiful. Nobody worried about what they looked like. Nobody was inhibited. Nobody was intimidated. Everyone was lost in that singing, in that thinking of who they were. You were collecting and gathering everything from Shabbos so you could take it with you into the week ahead. So we are beginning the countdown of Shabbos ending, but that is the that's it. That's the essence. That's the climax. It's the culmination. It's everything that we've been building towards is that feeling of shalashuras. Maybe at one point I'll bring it in and we'll learn the Piazethana Rebbe's descriptions and salvaze of what shalashuras meant to him. How in the world did we get to this? Shalashuras. <laughs> it was, was worth fabulous. It was yeah. worth it. How did we get to this? Wait one second. esrotzon. Ah. Ace Rut Zone, that's how we got to it. Because there are certain times during the week or certain times during our lives which are an ace Rut Zone. Where you say, you know what? Tuesday, while I'm in the middle of doing work, while the kids are in the middle of crying, while I have to cook dinner, while they're doing the homework, it's not exactly an ace Rut Zone to start connecting to who I am in my essence and what Hashem wants from me, right? That's not an ace Rut Zone. But there are moments that are in Esratzon. And that's what the Rabb is saying is, don't hold ourselves accountable 24-7 to lead this life or to aspire for this life or to dive for this life. But that's what the Pasuk is telling us. V'ani, regarding who I am, trying to shape my identity, my prayer is, L'cha Hashem that I can direct it to you, Esratzon. That in an Esratzon, I can succeed at seeing that piece of who I am. That there is that capability, that capacity within me right if you could see that in shaloshus every week then on tuesday when you feel far from hashem or you're tempted to forget him ah you remember shaloshus if Ne'ilah, there are jews in this community maybe i'm one of them that Ne'ilah empowers you it drives you the whole year baruch hashem we have a beautiful Ne'ilah in our community and and segment of the community come together, certain minyanim, and, and we daven, and, and it's all created by the community. You could hear a pin drop, and the level of singing and the walls reverberate. That's an esratzon. There, there are people who have described to me on the way out in Ila, they, they saw a potential in themselves they didn't know was there. They revisited a feeling that they haven't had in a long time, or they had a feeling they never knew they were capable of having. Right? A, a feeling they're neshama alive. A feeling they just nourished a piece of themselves that they normally struggle to even know is there. Ni'ila is an ace ratzon. For the Piazetna that was every shalishiras is that Ace Ratzon. You have great news that you just received in your life for your family with your children. It's an Ace Ratzon. So that's what he is encouraging us is to, to do it all the time. So a month long ace ratzon is El. forty days from El to Yom Kippur. That's a long run of an es Ratzon. That's tough. That's like, that's like an ultra-marathon, right? Sometimes you get it within you to run down the block. Sometimes all you have in you is to run to the elevator. Sometimes you can run all the way the whole block. Sometimes you go for a run, you can run the whole circle. And, and there are people who can do an ultra-marathon. Elul is an ultra-marathon. It's a month long of Dodi. You know, Hashem, I'm not capable of this 12 months of the year, and I don't need to expect myself to be capable 12 months of the year. But I could see myself capable for this month. So I don't know that I could say Tehillim every day for the rest of my life. For Elul, I'm saying to heal him every day. I don't know that I'm going to bench from a sitter. I don't know that I'm going to go do this. I don't know I'm going to do that. For Elul, I'm taking it on. For Elul, I can put my, you at the center of my circle. Okay, we'll start with this next time, this paragraph. It's talking about how we relate to Hashem and how we connect in terms of what we ask of Him. But I think it's a very powerful way that he's ending is that the goal is not necessarily to hold out for ourselves a possibility that's impossible because then we develop yesh, then we give up, then it becomes hopeless. But if we designate times that we feel are predisposed that we can have that breakthrough and we capture it in that moment. Have you ever had experiences where you say, I wish I could capture this right now? If I could bottle this right now. If I could bottle the way my kids are getting along right now. (laughs) If I could bottle that feeling of amuna I feel right now. Yeah. If I could bottle that love I'm feeling with my spouse right now, which is they could do no wrong. If I could bottle it. That's what an Esratzon means is have that breakthrough. When you're experiencing it, bring a bottle. Put it in a bottle. Put us in a bottle. Put N'Iila in a bottle. Put the kids getting along in a bottle. Bring a bottle. An Esratzon is bottle it and take it with you because sometimes you won't have it again, but you can open the bottle or you could look inside the bottle or you could just see the bottle and remember that there was once a bottle, that this, this was there and I'm capable of getting back there again. Capable of getting back there again. We see with our children in the summer, sometimes children can have a bigger breakthrough in six weeks of the summer than they get in you know, 10 months or nine months of school the whole year. Right. Um, and, and, you, and you know what? They're going to revert back. They know it, we know it, and that's okay because they also know that it's in there and it can come back again. Maybe it's not till next summer. Maybe it's not till some other experience in life. And that's the same feeling that we have with ourselves, is that when you know it's in there, you can long to get back there. You can long to revisit it again. But the first step is to see it when it's in there and then to try to bottle it so we can see it again. All right, have a great week, everyone.